0: Deep breath. We can do this. Hey everyone, before we dive in, I just wanted to say a couple things. This has been a week for many, but for the black community, this has been their life. Like many of you, I've been spending a lot of time trying to process this, educate myself as much as I can, but most importantly, listen. Listen empathetically and patiently. I'm also taking this time to find a way to make Blamo more diverse and use the influence I have to help shape this industry further. It's not enough, but it's a start, and I can commit to that. This upcoming episode is going to be released at a later date, but after recording it, there's just so much to unpack that's hopeful and eye-opening. And as you'll hear, it's inspiring too. And I, for one, am hopeful for the future. Okay? Let's do this. My name is Jeremy Kirkland, and this is Blamo, a podcast exploring the world of fashion with the people who shape it. My guest this week is Ni Okoboiju, founder and designer of Post Imperial. Ni and I discussed the power of mythology, trying to get beyond your own ego, and what it will take to build a better world. This was a special one for me, and I hope it is for you too.
1: Yeah, I'm in Houston right now with my wife and kids, staying with family. So, it's like, it's like limbo, <laughs> you know, Yeah. It's because uh, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know, you know, it, you know, a lot of the decisions that we have to make are dependent on what happens in New York. Whether like they're reopening things, or if they're going to start schools up again, we just don't know. So it's a lot of like. Just stand still. Like even if we wanted to make decisions, we can't necessarily make any kind of like concrete decisions.
0: Right. Wait. So wait. How long have you been in Houston? March. Whoa. <laughs>
1: this is March. Okay. <laughs> it's been a while. My wife, okay. she has intuition. Um, she knew it was going to get crazy in New York, so she left with the kids, and I was like, "Well, I still have some things to take care of." Blah blah blah. So I too, I was working on those things, and then. I started feeling it too. And it's like, uh, if I'm going to get, if there's going to be a lockdown, I want to be locked down with my family. So, so
0: dang, man, but you've been there since March. I'll be honest, New York. I hate saying this and I'm all these, all the like New Yorkers are going to get pissed at me, but like New York sucks right now. There's <laughs> because what makes New York so great is, is that is the people, the community yeah. and, uh-huh. and, and the community exists, but we can't, do anything we can't really see each other, you know. I mean, yeah. it's you have your what your socially distanced mask, but you can't go to restaurants, you can't, you know. Only we've been trying to order takeout and do other things, but it's it's been uh it's just been a bummer, um, you yeah. know, especially like we're in this new neighborhood and we we you don't even
1: get to greet anyone, right? Yeah, you yeah, almost feels like an abstract concept right now in New York. <laughs> um, I'm not to say like in, in Houston, like by meeting a lot of people, um. You know, I don't go anywhere. I think I've driven like maybe three or f- two or three times, okay. and it's to get something at Target and then come back. Uh, but usually, I try to take walks around the neighborhood and and whatnot. And I don't really know any of the neighbors. Um, and everyone mm-hmm. kind of keeps that distance. Uh, but we have like at least we can have like people riding, like driving, to come visit us and vice versa. So I I have a lot of family in Houston, and some of them have come to visit us. Um, and also, there isn't this. Houston or Texas and down south, there still isn't this sense of like like it hasn't really hit them that COVID is a thing. Right? Right. You know, it's it's like it's like um I keep uh, making jokes about how um the writer of twenty twenty is trying to win an Emmy. And it seems like right now, like he had this plot line out of COVID and now it's a new different plot line and like everyone's forgotten about COVID and it's like, okay, don't worry. He's going to like tie it all back before the end of the season. Um, Cause that's what it feels like. Cause like everyone, like no one is really talking about COVID now. And yesterday I actually went to Target and most of the people, a lot of the people that I, I saw walking around, the one wearing face masks and I was like, okay, did COVID all of a sudden just disappear? Like, Yeah. Like have we forgotten about it too? So, and uh, whereas, you know, all the, my friends I'm talking to in New York, it's still something that is on everybody's minds. Yeah. And it's like, you know, everyone is still very sensitive about it. Where Over here, we were all just concerned about getting out and, you know, um, exercising our first world, like privileges or rights, you know, that are being taken from us. Sure. Um, <laughs> you know, right? So um, it, it's it's just interesting seeing... Um, how in the US the things that we define as like freedom, um, uh, and it's it's had me thinking about how we think of like freedom individually plus freedom collectively. Um, I have like I teach at Parsons and some of my students had to go back and mm-hmm. you know uh, one of them is in was from South Korea and he was saying that in South Korea they haven't necessarily shut down anything but everyone is so super cautious. Like mm-hmm. if you walk outside without a face mask, they're all looking at you like, dude, like you have to think about everybody else. So it's like you're thinking about the collective whole. Mm-hmm. Whereas over here we think that like freedom means that you shouldn't give a shit about anybody else, <laughs> as long as you do your own thing. And it's like Yeah. It's a very individualistic um kind of freedom where like I'm about to rag on modern modernism, but and 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 oh, uh, it's, you're good. But you know, funny thing is that like I'm I am a modernist apologist. Like amongst my friends, they're like, Here comes the postmodernist, here it comes again. <laughs> right. But um this sense of like anything can be anything and you can be whatever you want to be, and it's all about you, this egocentric focus on like yourself and not necessarily looking at the collective, I think is one of the reasons why we're in this timeline. And you know, maybe perhaps We might have to might want, I don't want to say go back, or maybe we might want to kind of reconfigure that kind of um point where we have like where everything just becomes a vanity project almost, right? Um and not kind of like project ourselves in some a lot of these things. It's you know, COVID is not about you, (laughs) it's about like the whole collective and like how we can of survive by a species like, yeah you'd be fine if you stay in you know
0: yeah it's it's interesting and I think well first off i I don't have the answers but something I've tried to uh, really educate myself on regarding covid regarding parenting regarding geez everything that's also happening right now uh, i I keep jumping back to parenting um and the, the parenting I had uh for my parents you know I grew up uh, my dad was a pastor I grew up pretty heavily entrenched in the church
1: ha, I did too my oh, mom, yeah I, I live with my uncle I moved from um Nigeria at fourteen so I live with my uncle he was a pastor as well
0: okay yeah. so okay that that's I take some comfort in that and the, and so like so much of this there's so I'm from st Louis missouri in the in the midwest mm-hmm. and uh if you're not from St Louis, people think it's the South It's very much not the South, but mm-hmm. St Louis is also and always kind of unfortunately has been this this hotbed of, of racism and, and and case studies of white flight and uh growing up in the church around there um you know my parents I love my dad, and I think my dad did a pretty good job of trying to communicate to us as a family the privileges that that we had. Uh, you know, we were in a pretty, we weren't in the, like the, the safest or, or most economically, you know, uh, well-off neighborhood. Uh, you know, I, I, my dad was in the music industry first and before he jumps into, into church and, but there was something about, and I think of that time frame of like, maybe I think we're around the same age that the whole world was telling us as kids too, that like, you can do anything you want. You're special. You can do this. You can, you can do anything. And I wonder, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm coughing there. I wonder how much that has to do right now with some of the, uh, even with like COVID, right? Like I don't need a mask. I'm special. I can do whatever I want. I can, I don't need to worry about you. It's, it's capitalism work as hard as you can. And you're going to, you're going to see, yeah, and then top that all off with um some of the Christianity that was in not instilled in me that but that was I was kind of surrounded by and that like God's going to get the last word and he's going to fix everything. And so now <laughs> you know, here I am and I've really wrestled with uh, to jump back to the lens of parenting, like what do I tell my kid do you know, do I tell her how special she is. And do I give her this false sense of she can do anything and the world smacks her in the face? Like how much do I try to protect and shepherd my, my kid? Do I then immediately pivot to, uh, well, God's going to fix everything, you know? And then mm-hmm. like, is she going to hate me because I believe in a God when, to be honest, like, you know, five days a week, I don't even know if I believe in God cause I get mm-hmm. mad. So, <laughs>
1: Apologies, this is an interview with you, but no, no, what, no, no. no.
0: I, hit me.
1: <laughs> no, no I, no, I, I, I think I resonate with a lot of those. Like, I mean, because I, I have, um, I'm a parent of twin boys, five years old. So it's, I, there's, there's no handbook with parenting, and I don't think there is necessarily a wrong way, um. I'm I'm very big on mythology. When I say mythology, it's like building narrative and stories in every aspect of your life, mm-hmm. and that also comes with parenting. So there are many things that I, I I try to do with that. Yeah, I I do tell my kids that they're amazing and special, but I I try to always kind of frame it in a way where they don't think that they're better than everybody. It's like, okay, you're amazing because you did this one thing, mm. right? And I, I'm very specific on that, right? So it's kind of like feed like having this kind of constructive feedback and just say like, why am I amazing? It's because you did this one thing and you're very amazing at that thing, right? Mm-hmm. So they don't like try to like take it as one thing that like, where they feel like, like they're like special than anybody else, yeah, right? And one other thing that I'm also big at is allowing them to kind of fail, right? Um, I'm mm. also big in making them, um, remove the, removing the idea of, um, having this competitive spirit. and I know a lot of people think that's weird, but like one of my sons, he hates, he's a, he's you a, he will tell you I'm a sore loser. He hates being, he always wants to be first and he he's upset whenever he's never first. Right. And I always had to tell him like, look, it's not about the, like who you winning, right? Because you can win and absolutely not try your best, right? You can come first and absolutely you didn't do anything. I'm like, it's about the process. You have to look at the process. What you did throughout the process. What did you learn from that? How um, how much of you of an effort did you put into that? If you put all your effort in there and you fail, that's okay, right? Because what happens is that if we don't if we build these kids with all this kind of competitiveness, right, and they get into business, right, and they fail, they they don't know how to handle failure. Because all they've been taught is that like they have to hit, like every action that they take has to be um, concrete, um, and it has to have like some sort of success rate. And right. in, in reality, the the rate of success is like slim. Like, look at baseball players. Like, it, the, one of the greatest baseball players, like what they have the highest batting average, is, like point four. Yeah, forty that's, that's percent. That's like every ten times he swings, he's six times he's going to fail. He doesn't yeah. even hit fifty percent, right? So winning or success, I, which in, in my opinion we have to start reframing what success is. Um, but in 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 the standard traditional idea of success, we don't like you don't we don't even get those right. So I always try to let them know, like frame them, like frame it in a way that they understand that it's not about the result. It's about what you get in between that results, right? Mm. Um, because the result can mean so many things for many people. And it's the same thing I also tell my students as well. Um, they, you know, constantly say, hey, professor, you gave me an A. I, an a, minus. I wanted an A. Why would you give me a B? I'm like, don't focus on that. Focus on the work, the process, what you got from those things. The tools that I'm giving you, they are tools that, I'm, that you can use when you, to apply into the real world. So they're not just theories anymore, they are, you can actually put them in practice, right? Um, and because at the end of the day, when you graduate, when people look at your resume, they are not going to care if you got an A in fashion show production and publicity. <laughs> if the most superficial person that looks at your resume is just going to look at what school you went to and you're not going to care what grade you got in that school, especially if you're in fashion. Yeah. So I'm like, focus on the... Everything else that I've given you, don't focus on your greed. Yeah, and it's the same. It's the same thing I try to tell my kids. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with um, praising your kid and giving them, um, like, like, like making them feel good about themselves. Especially with me, I have two black boys. I I know that you know there are a lot of things that. I'm first of all going to project on them based on trauma that I face, but mm. also the trauma in within America is going to be projected on them as well. So there's this sense of pride that I have to instill with them uh, from their hair, which I always tell them they have like beautiful hair, um, to just their skin. And like, it's something that I put into like them. I'm, I'm very, very specific. I don't just tell them, oh, you're special just because yeah. right. you know, you're, you're special because you're black right it's like you're special because your skin is this or you're special because of your hair and, or um i don't even think i use the word special i just say like you're awesome yeah <laughs> like you're awesome because of this or you did this because i'm proud of you for doing this because you did this right um so i'm very very specific and even when they do things wrong i always tell them i well, not always but i try to tell them um be specific on the things that they, um did not do well um and just let them know like look th- tomorrow is another day you have an opportunity to you know if you would have another opportunity to actually get this right so it's okay
0: yeah that that's so let's jump back here cuz you just said you you came over t- from nigeria what 14 or 15 14 and so i mean it sounds like you had th- the wisdom that you're sharing right now You know, it seems like you learned a significant amount from some some pretty amazing people. But so you came over and lived with your uncle?
1: Yeah, I lived with my uncle. Um, My uncle, I didn't even realize how much of an impact he had in my life until like much later. Because we used to, but so my brother, my older brother, and I, we moved to the US. I was 14, I think he was 16 at the time. Mm-hmm. And at the time, there was a lot of political arrest happening in Nigeria. My parents already had established businesses. Schools kept getting closed, and my mom, my dad were just like, "Look, these kids need some sort of like stable. Um, they just need some sort of stability in their education." So they, they we went to live with our uncle, and in Houston. Yes, in Houston, yeah. and you know, like I said, he was a pastor. He was very strict, very very strict. Um, like when I say strict, there were certain things like. Um, he had his own. He had um, three kids as well. But we couldn't play video games. We couldn't uh, watch certain things. But we we all did those things, right? <laughs> so, so, and that's one of the things. Like my, um, with me, my wife and I butt heads on this. So, um, I know that like trying to like put the hard line on restricting things, it doesn't work because I lived that. And you know, we had a PlayStation that he didn't know about. <laughs> in our house and my, my brother would keep it in the backpack with the wires and everything and when we were playing it after school we would all, someone would be on the lookout as soon as we gave a signal my brother cuts everything throws it in the bag and just runs into the room and hides it so oh my God. like a whole playstation like that is that was basically a violation like we couldn't like no way right Um, we watched all the rap videos we did all those things like so you can't necessarily hide those types of things from children. Right now, um, my wife and I, are uh, we uh, there's a battle between, an ideological battle between um, us, like uh, what we think about Minecraft. So one of my kids is starting to get into Minecraft. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you've ever, I, I just discovered it, but um, there's a certain part where there's a survival section and there's a creative uh-huh. section. The survival section is where you fight zombies. You can actually fight and kill them. The creative oh. section is where you can build things. And I was, I was trying to tell my wife that like all I need to do is just kind of remove him from that and focus on the creative part. And my wife's like, no, just draw a hard line on that. And so far, um, I was like, okay, cool. But so far, every time I go on his iPad or I watch, see him watching YouTube, he's watching Minecraft. He's doing something on Minecraft. And I'm like, this isn't really effective, but okay. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out a way to kind of um, um, relate to my wife that you know, I don't I don't know if how effective it is drawing this kind of line. Um, but she's very like she grew up in a military family, so like, you know, she likes hard lines. Right. And she's she's more of the I'd say she's more of the I'm I'm the cry in my in my relationship. Same. So I'm the more emotional one, I'm the one that cries, I'm the one that's like and she's very stoic. like, okay. Yeah.
0: Right. And
1: I'm like, <laughs> I just like had like a five minute rant. And so like when we used to have issues and I would listen to like a lot of like relationship, like, or advice, like, like um podcasts or whatever. And I'm um, reading articles. It's always like, you know, like five things like, um, they, like give all these like things. And a lot of times I'm like, none of these apply to me, like for what they have for men. It's like, oh well, men, most men are not the talkers. They're not this and like that. And, like Stonewall, and I'm like, I am not any of this. <laughs> this is not really helping. Yeah. You know. Um, and it would got really it would get really frustrating. But anyways, um
0: So you you come over from Nigeria, you're living with your your uncle, yeah, and you know, you're in Houston, which is a very different place from Nigeria. Yes. Um what where did like the love of, of fashion <clears throat> excuse me fashion and stuff comes in and how do you get to new york
1: okay so i think my first like f- full interaction with fashion came my senior year in high school we were supposed to do a report on a famous person and so i was in the library and i stumbled upon this Helmut newton picture of mm. yves saint laurent with the smoking tuxedo i don't know if you're familiar with that picture yeah um it's a Tumblr favorite, but um, I saw that picture and it just kind of threw me off because I was like, is that a woman or is that a man? And I didn't know what it was. And that was my first time being introduced to androgyny. And I was very interested and intrigued by that image. And so I started doing more research and I found out it was by Yves Saint Laurent. Yeah, And then I did a, um, a report on Yves Saint Laurent, just like I'm just going to do a report on him. And from there, I started getting into fashion. So East was my first um, entry into actual fashion. And so I was focused mostly on just women's. I didn't even care about men's, to be honest. Really? Um, yeah. I, was, I, I went to school for women's. I was focused on women's. Um, you know, so, and, and I think that is one of the reasons when like, I'm talking to a lot of like, menswear enthusiasts or people in menswear, and I talk to them about fashion, my, my discussions can kind of get very. There can be a disconnect between both of us when we talk because a lot of guys that got into fashion, they got into it from a product perspective. I did it. You know, I got it from from a theory perspective. So I'm talking, I remember I was talking to someone about Jill Sander and he's like, Yeah, you know, I just love the color blocking they do on their sweaters. And I was like, Yeah, you know, when I think Jill Sander, I think minimalism. You know, mm-hmm. I think simplicity, I think like... It, so I think of this kind of like soft romantic, like romanticism, when Josana... Well, I want to say Josanna wasn't romantic. She was kind of like militaristic. But anyways... um it's <laughs> <That was> fine. <laughs> see, I can see But it. you see what I mean? Like that kind of... That's how I approach it. I don't necessarily look at the clothes per se. I do know the clothing, but I look at it from that idea of like what the aesthetic was, um, you know, but... From there, you know, I started getting into other designers. I think the second designer that I got into was Dolce & Gabbana because that's when I I started to think of, like, okay, I want to, you know, this is cool stuff. I want to, like, start dressing. What do I start wearing? Wow. And then, I, yeah, Dolce & Gabbana was, was the next thing. I was like, oh, this is so cool. Like, they're so flashy, you know. um, You know, and then the next designer that I saw that kind of just, felt very dangerous when I saw it was your um, own Eddie Sloman. Yeah. yeah, I remember the first time I saw it, I was I, I, I clearly remember it because um, my friend and I, my, my best man, he just used to he didn't care about any of this, but he would just entertain me because he saw how like, much I loved it. Um, at that time, we didn't have access to collections like we do online, right? We would have to wait like two or three days. I already knew the schedule for the shows. We'll go to the library. We'll log in. We'll see what shows are going, and then we'll just talk about them. Um, and then one day, I saw, I stumbled upon Eddie Saman's. I can't remember what collection it was, and I was so, I wasn't disturbed. I was just, it was. I don't know how to explain it, but I looked around. Like usually, like I was not, I was not a fashion kid, and I didn't care what, like, what kind of content. Like people saw the content I was wearing, and I didn't care, but. First time I saw, I think it was the collection where he had the white shirt and then it was, was it like um, a blood stain on the shirt? Oh. And it's uh-huh. like some wax, like ripped denim jeans. It just looked very.
0: Well, wax ripped denim. That was 2003. Yeah.
1: I think it was 2003.
0: Yeah. it was. The, I, looked the around,
1: yeah. I looked around. I looked around. I was like, I don't know if I want people to see me look <laughs> at this because it well, just felt so different. Right. mm. It felt it felt it felt dangerous. It felt like I shouldn't be looking at this. Like I now I know I know it looks normal, but back then it just it was not it didn't feel normal at all. Yeah. It, I was skinny say, jeans, the white yeah. crisp white shirt, and then this like ripped, like skinny, then it just didn't feel like it didn't look normal. It was very much
0: you know, I, I agree with you because I think at that time too, um I don't want to say that it wasn't okay, but it was still I would say right now, culturally, if, if, mm-hmm. there's, if you see a guy and he's super into clothes, that's not a big deal. That's mm-hmm. totally fine, thanks to streetwear and, and just so many different avenues for people to get in and obviously the internet. But yeah, like I would say 2003 and earlier, you know, I don't think it's not that it wasn't okay. It was just a bit more rare for, um, you know, just cisgender male. Uh, you know to 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 get to get into clothes.
1: Yeah, or, but no, but I don't think yeah. that was for me. Like I didn't care if people saw the other things that I was looking at. Like it didn't. I didn't. It didn't. It was just for some reason. Your own just felt so dangerous. It felt like my. It was almost like adrenaline. Like there was adrenaline comments. Like you should not be looking at this. Right. Um, so what did you do then? I kept looking. Eh? <laughs> I kept looking. I think like, You know, I, I think it was a combination of the models, yeah, the, the everything. You know, it's yeah. like
0: street you know, casting, which is yeah, what you did, everything,
1: yeah. everything just felt very like wow. I've never seen this before because Dutch and Gabana, their models are like they're like built, they're, you know? yeah, yeah. You know, um, whereas with this, they just look very frail and thin <laughs> and and whatnot. And then after that, I well actually. Before Eddie, I actually got into Helmut Lang, and Helmut Lang changed my life. Helmut Lang to me is is between Helmut and Prada. Yeah, to me, the greatest designers of all time. Like, yeah, Helmut, um, for me, was a designer that I wish that I was, um, and I could not be. Um, when, and I'll, I'll explain that to you later. But after Eddie, and I started getting more into fashion. Uh, And then I decided that after I graduated from, I was going to University of Houston at the time. And then Mm -hmm. I decided after I graduated, I was going to apply for Parsons and then I got in. And then from there, I started like wanting to, I started like trying to figure out, like those two years were pivotal for me because it allowed me to kind of flesh out the ideas that I wanted to to have as a designer. Uh, Initially, I wanted to be, like Helmut Lang, right? Because Helmut Lang is the designer everybody took seriously. He's the one that, like, was the designer's designer, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was this sense of precision there, and um, he just, he was, he sparingly used color. So, like, I wanted to be him, and I could not, and he used to piss me off so much, right? Because I would be like, okay, this project I'm going to Try as much as possible to be minimal and be understated. And then before I know it, while I'm looking at my work, it's all full of color, it's all full of print, and I'm like, "How the fuck did I get here? Like, <laughs> <laughs> what? why can't I just be simple? You know?" And it was something I was really ashamed about for years because I thought that people didn't take um, designers that wanted to print and pattern and color really seriously, right? Because like I wanted to be seen as a serious designer, right? because it's like you know, sure. Um, but, like, after um, I graduated and I went to work at Oscar Mm-hmm. Um, and after working there, I was like, you know what? Color and print is just fine, you know? And um, it was fascinating working there because, for one, what I realized is that um, at first I wanted to make clothes for, for museums in school because I had all these theories of like, okay, what would be the, like, I wanted to merge a lot of things from my culture, but I wanted to, to be, what's the word elevated in a way where it could like put in a museum. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, right now when I look back at that, I'm like, that was pretty foolish, but whatever. (laughs) Um, but, um, one thing I I learned about in uh, Oscar was that it's, I won't say it's easy to make clothes for the museum, I mean, avant-garde clothing is not easy, right? But it's much harder to make clothes that people want to wear. Yeah. Like, that people just see, and they're like, I want to wear that, and they put it on, and the kind of joy that it gives them. Like, just seeing the women that would come in and want to wear Oscar dresses, and the way that they would react, just like, like Oscar had made their day, right? And it was really transformative for me seeing that because it's like that's what I actually want you know I want people to actually engage with my clothing I don't want it to be in a museum a white space where like people are looking at it and writing um, all types of theory about it which is it's great but you know at the end of the day I'm making like actual product that is supposed to be worn and supposed to be you know allow people to interact with. I, I mean I still love designers who re, um who Engage in like that kind of arena, like Victor and Rolf. But I mean, for me now, I'm much more into wanting to make product that is not just an idea, but it's something that that with that people can feel and want to interact with.
0: Yeah, because I remember when I first um, heard about you, I think you were just doing ties at the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they were really cool, sort of, you know, like louder patterns, which. I, I uh, just will apologize. Like I didn't make the connection to understand any of the Nigerian or Prince or anything. I was just like, Oh cool. This is just a cool brand. I thought it was a Japanese brand too. Cause like, you know, <laughs> y- you, you were someone of like many where like the Japanese were onto quicker because mm-hmm. I, I don't know, like beams and all those folks, they just know they, when they know what's good, they, they get it. And it, it's yeah. yeah. A- and, and, Unfortunately, in the U.S., we, we need like 500 other people to tell us it's good before we realize no, it. No, we
1: need Kanye. That's all we need. <laughs> Kanye, to wear, and, and it, it's, you, you, you are good. But it's interesting that you brought up the um, that you didn't even make the connection. I just thought it was good. I think that's one of the intentions of how i have engineered Post-Imperial. is that even if I have all this great context behind it, I want to make sure that the product is so good it st- by itself. It stands alone by itself that people just want to wear it. Yeah. Right. Um, and you know, all the other stuff can come in after, you know, it's the same thing with a lot of Japanese designers like Yoji and the rest of them they've done, you know, they take a lot of things from their, their cultural context. They re- deconstruct it and kind of translate it for the global village. And um, they're basically translators and, you might not necessarily see what the the cultural context of the clothing at first, and you just think that's cool. But then, years down the line, or maybe two days down the line, you see you see it in its cultural context, and you are like, "I've seen that somewhere." You now go back and look at your closet, and you now make that connection. You know, yeah. so it's kind of like a silent way of um, a subliminal way of teaching, and not necessarily like hanging it over at your head, which I am fine with that as well. But for me, I find, um that angle is is something that we often don't necessarily uh, approach and i think more of us should approach that as well because you know i see so many brands that you know in terms of like their platform or code they, are, they have a standard of ethics whether it's sustainable or whether it's cultural and it's like that's awesome but then you look at the product and it doesn't match and it's like you know i mean i wish i i wish i could buy it because you, you guys have like a really cool story but this product is not it doesn't you know resonate with me in, in any way i i don't want that to for me and i don't want to guilt people into buying my stuff and it when they don't actually like it but they, they think that they are doing it as some sort of charity um, case. yeah it's like they see it beyond they, they see they actually like the aesthetic part is is, is an important point for me as well mm-hmm. i mean for god's sake i i worked at oscar they <laughs> okay, make beautiful clothes okay, so beautiful things are important to me
0: yeah well i it's it was interesting to like you know watch your career and stuff too because I remember seeing the ties and I was like oh this is cool like he's he's doing like really cool like suits and it was very unstructured and there was lots of uh, excuse me lots of uh loud colors and you know seeing some of your stuff from um I remember but there was a guy at pity who was trying to who was trying to tell me all about post imperial and it like It's funny because you you made the the comment about Helmet Lang. And you know, you are for a lot of people, you're like the designer's designer. Like you you said like that's what you want to be. Like in a way, you already are. Like so many people, you know, would be like, oh dude, you you gotta check out Post Imperial. You got and I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that he made the ties, you made this. And then boom, the E.G. collab happens. And like EG doesn't really collab with many individuals, right? They collab with Very respected, tried and true American heritage brands or, 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 you know, like a strong sort of brand and it's reinterpreted. Mm -hmm. What was interesting about the EG collab was that they didn't reinterpret what you were doing. You reinterpreted what they were doing. Mm -hmm. And I was, I mean, that's, I was astonished. I'm, I'm I'm trying to explain it now. I'm still pretty speechless. No, Um, i because that that was that's a big that's a big sign of accomplishment and achievement, and especially to, to
1: what you've what you've built and created. No, thank you. Um, it's it's interesting here the designers designer thing. I didn't, I never even realized that, it, and um, a lot of time I actually suffer from imposter syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> so right now, <laughs> that's what's happening in my head. Like, uh, designer designer, really? You know, because yeah. like, um, I, one of the things that I'm trying to to um, get away from is focusing on myself in terms of the ideas that I have and making sure that people understand the ideas more than me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, What's one I, of the ideas? So, like, I was listening to a podcast um, that talked about this, and the person said that. If he goes into a room and leaves, and he has a speech and he leaves, right? Um, mm-hmm. Two scenarios could come out of that. The people listening could say, "Oh my God, this person is so inspirational. He's so cool." Or they could say, "What this person said was awesome. I want to apply it. What he said right now. He said that second part is much more effective than the first one because the first one is just focused on you and not your idea, right?" Mm-hmm. And I think that's why. Lately, I've just kind of disengaged from looking at, like, reading a lot of, like, um, mainstream outlets and, like, things of, like, and I'm very detached from a lot of, like, the billionaires and what their ideas as well. I think a lot of them have Tony Stark syndrome, which is, like, (laughs) they feel like they can fix everything, right? And it's, like, hey, I had this idea. Am I not great for bringing this idea to you? And... Um, and this is why I'm also big with mythology now because mythology outlives the people who write it, right yeah. um, the, no one really remembers the griots right At um, the soothsayers but they remember the mythology right and yeah so that for me is much more important um, but not to say that I still like that I mean if if those things um, didn't really affect me then I wouldn't have imposter syndrome right <laughs> So obviously, I still have an ego somewhere, um, and also, like, I won't like to you and say that, um, I, you know. In you know, because when you hear "designers designer," that means that certain people are talking about you, but you're not hearing it. So I don't hear these things. I don't know, right? Right. And and the quote unquote public is not necessarily talking about you, and so you know, there'll be articles that I'll see like, oh black designers that you need to check or like African designers that you need to check and my name will not be in there and I'll be like, okay, just just focus on the big picture. It's okay. And then I'm getting texts like, yeah, why did they that high piece article not feature you? I'm like, dude, I don't know. Like I'm trying not to focus on this thing. Then by the end of the day it's like I'm thinking and I'm like, yeah, why am I not on there? <laughs> you know, so um yeah. there's obviously an ego part that I'm me myself, I'm trying to not feed into. Um, but I wouldn't say that it hasn't, uh, a, um, bugged me in the past. Um, but yeah, but it's, it's, it's actually cool to know that, like you said that, um, I am seen as a, a designer's designer. All right. So the EG thing, you know, that was four years in the making. Four years, four years. in the making. This is the story. Okay. Um, at the time when I was still doing ties, um, I, you know, I initially wanted to start with a full collection, but I was broke. And I was like, I can't do a full collection, so I'm just going to start with ties. You know, every, the Ralph Lauren model that everyone yeah. <laughs> on Style Forum, on Super Future, everyone that's like ever tried to start with clothing that, that has, has gone through. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I was like, how am I going to make myself stand out? Because I know everyone is selling ties. And then that's why I started with the Adire thing. And so there'll be stores in New York that I'll just walk into and say, hey, these are my ties. You want to see them? And uh, there was this store called Inventory. Do you remember them? Yeah. Super. Yeah. Ryan loans. Like, too yeah. cool. Too cool for school. I walked yeah. in there. and It's like, hey, I have these ties." <laughs> the salesperson is like, square. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> I walked out. Uh. Uh, and then there was this, um, there was another store that was next to it. It was kind of like a vintage store. They used to sell post overalls. I can't remember the person. Oh, it was yeah. owned by this Japanese guy. Yeah,
0: and um, they they also sold. Um, oh darn it! The garden, the gardening Japanese gardening brand.
1: Yeah, no, I don't think it was a Japanese gardening brand. Not. Um, yeah, I'm not thinking of GreenFingers. It's not GreenFingers.
0: Oh yeah, I was thinking of GreenFingers. Yeah. No, no, okay.
1: it's, it's another. Um, it's another, they're not around anymore. But I walked past it and I was like. Um, it's a vintage store, but let's just go in there and just show them stuff. So I went in, I talked to the store owner, and I was like, dude, this is a vintage store. We don't necessarily (laughs) sell clothing, but I think you might have a good chance um, at the Nepenthes group. I know Daiki. I surf with him every Sunday. I'll tell him about your stuff. First of all, I was like, yeah, right. Okay, (laughs) but I'll leave my brochure. (laughs) Um, I just, whatever. Um, and so I wasn't expecting to hear anything from him on Sunday morning. he was like, yeah, he sent me an email saying, Hey, I told Dike about your stuff. He said, you'll come, um, you should come see him on Monday. Here's his email. It's like, wait, this is real. So I go up there, I show them my stuff and they're like, this is cool. Like, we don't really need to We don't, we can't carry your ties cause we make our own ties. But what we could do is you take your fabric and we can do like a collaboration. And this was before they started doing collaborations. Wow! So I was like, I was like, wait, slow down. Like, I just wanted ties. You want to do a full-on collaboration with me? Like, are you serious? Um. And so from there, we would like develop fabrics, but we never like had were able to get a timeline to do anything. And then I think one like last year or so, we we're just like, you know what? Let's just do it. And then we just we just did it. It's like these are the fabrics. Well, I I we just did it right there like that. But it just goes to show you that like every idea, good idea has its time. And I'm really trying my best to understand that, you know, and not look at, um, you know, you see brands that take off in like in two years. you are know, just like, why is it that they're taking off? What are you doing? What am I doing that they are not doing? Right. Mm. And the way we perceive, we perceive time, um, is something I'm trying to change. Right. Because, you know, I'm sure a lot of people—not sure—a lot of people would kill to have had that collaboration that I did, right? Um, but a lot of people don't know that it took four years. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I certainly didn't. Right, um, oh, Angelo, <laughs> Right, and, and it wasn't—you know—the crazy thing was the person I worked with directly for that collaboration was Daiki. I didn't work with anybody else. Not Many, even, like, no, just Daiki. That's oh. it. I think Todd did the production, but yeah. Daiki, Daiki did everything. I was in terms of like the designing. I came in the first day. I thought he would hand me to one of his like assistants because, you know, who am I? That's a small fridge. And he sat down and he was going through everything with me and I was like, okay, so are you going to hand me off to someone else? He didn't. Like through the whole process, I was talking to him, which was crazy to me. Um, But yeah, it it was it was four years in the making that, and that's something that a lot of people don't know. And I think it helped me reframe things in with when it comes to perceiving time, because Mm -hmm. you just don't know when things like when things are going to happen, they will happen. Just trying to force or rush things. I don't know what would have happened if I did the collaboration back then. It might have been great. It might have bombed who knows
0: But yeah well i mean i think something too that you were maybe you were kind of saved by this but um personally when i think of hype brands you know like you had said like oh a brand and like in two years and they're at this level or something Mm -hmm. um i don't know what the success rate is long term with a hype brand right? Yeah. You know, when mm-hmm. you think about, and I'm, I'm not here to name names, but like when you think about whatever brand and now they're everywhere and now they have a deal with this person, now they have a deal with this person. And then they, a lot of times have to compromise on what the original integrity of the brand was. It's oversaturated. And so people are like, I don't want that. Like y- you have it, like, you know about it. And I don't think you know anything about fashion, so I don't want it, you know? And yeah. it's just like, but what, you've done at least with post-imperial because you know i was like wait was it in 2012 was it in 2015 i was like there's different you know but it's 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 slow and steady and in a way i i think that that sort of growth communicated to brought to buyers is like this is this is a real brand this is not a hype brand we're not looking for a cosign from kanye right like we are you know, and that and it makes that in a weird way too. Like the 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 E.G. thing makes a ton of sense because it's just like they don't they don't work with hype brands. They don't do nope. things like that. Like uh-uh. and and so from all of that, I think you know, even though it it it's not like this overnight you know pop, like it it's still that continues to be the the trust and the re, the reinforcement of what you're doing is good. Yeah, and and respected. And yeah in sure. in a world of fashion that is fickle and oftentimes disgusting and unwelcoming and unfriendly yeah. you're cutting through it I, I will say the
1: men's um industry is m- less toxic than the women's I, I the men's has this kind of like broish, fratish um energy that i don't care for <laughs> but they still there is still the it's still much more welcoming than the women's the women's is toxic
0: like uh, yeah it is I, and toxic. i don't even have any experience with that Sick. i just have
1: outside yeah it's it's like i like dude like it's not that serious like come on guys um but i mean i still have a a big love for women's like i mean fashion for me is is it's, it's a really love like it's something i really love it's something that you know, for me, it, it's more than just kind of like wearing clothes. You can convey kind of messages with it. You can um, actually define. Um, it helps. It's, it's helped to define like political movements, and, and yeah. you know, so it's it's it, it's a powerful tool that you can use to indicate certain things, right? Um, so yeah, I I I love yeah, I love fashion.
0: Well, I mean, on that, like. You know, one of the things that's happened in fashion as a whole is the concept of, especially with COVID, right? The concept of a seasonal, I'm going to air quote that word, like a seasonal mm-hmm. collection is kind of gone, which yeah is great for me. And I think it's great for buyers. I don't know what it'll mean for department stores, but that's a whole other conversation. And But I think it also makes it for like what you do, um, you know, I mean, because I don't look at your clothes and I'm like, oh, that was that season you know, like it, 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 it's like, I, I just want it. And I want to wear it in whatever season I want to wear it in.
1: Yeah. Um, How, how do you feel about this? I'm all for this. Um, especially from the ecological standpoint. Um, and also I think this part also harkens back to the mythology part as well. Um, because one of the things that I'm fashion is a very wasteful industry. Right. In terms of the products that we make, the materials that we use. But also, we don't talk about the ways we waste ideas. We fucking waste ideas, right? Oh,
0: yeah. I didn't even think of
1: that. I mean, think about, like, someone might have some kind of, like, great idea um, or inspiration for fall, and he has to kill it and move on to the next thing in six months. And that idea that he has can probably change the course of humanity. But because... He he needs new colorways and new fabrications. He needs to move on from that idea. Yeah. So while like just constantly just changing and churning and churning and churning things. So my mythology now is about stretching ideas to their maximum limit. Right. It's kind of like how butchers use a bull in many parts of the world. They use all parts of the bull. Right. Yeah. mean they are, they are. You know, it's the same thing. Right. Um, it's the same thing I try to apply with my materials too, as well. Um, one of my friends, her name is Sita Solanke. Uh, she she said something to me that kind of like made an impact in the way that I operate now. She talked about humanizing materials, mm-hmm. and she the way she framed that is that if you are able to kind of look at hum- materials that you use in a way that you humanize them, it's easier for you to figure out what to do with them. Um, so, for example, instead of saying, like, I need to make this shirt, I need this shirt needs this fabric, I'm going to find that fabric, you buy too much of it, and then you you just, whatever you have left, you just put it in. Yeah. If you humanize it, you know that you that means that you're putting value in that fabric. You say, okay, I see this fabric here, what can I do with it? How can I work with it? It becomes like a collaborative process now, right? And it's not just you talking and beating a fabric into submission to do what you want to do. And this just this is not just for fabric; it's for any kind of material that we use, whether it's cement to make um, buildings, whether it's buttons that we use, all those types of things. If we can look at the materials and speak to them, right, mm-hmm. and say like, "What do you want to do?" Or what can what where can we place you, right, that you be of your best value, right? I think a lot of the issues that we have in Fashion and many other industries, we won't have. So for example, let's look at plastic. Everyone shits on plastic. Plastic is this problematic material. But the issue is not plastic. It is how we use plastic. We know that plastic has a biodegradable date of like 500 years. Mm -hmm. Then why are we making disposable products for something that biodegrades in 500 years? Right why? I don't know. Cheap, I guess. So, but it, then it's not plastic. It's us. You yeah. know, it's, it's the same way how we feel like, Oh, you know, we get a phone. We have 30 gigs. Well, I'll run out of 30 gigs. And say, oh, man, if I only have 60 gigs, I would not run out of anything. Right? <laughs> and then we add 60 gigs. And then before you know, it, we have 59 gigs. We have like, <laughs> we already filled up the phone. Right. Yeah. So we're not, a lot of times when we're trying to, and this is one of the issues I have with problem solving and why I have issues with like, you air quoted like, all these like Tony Stark, this Tony Stark syndrome that we see from billionaires is that they don't really attack the proper issues. The issues is not plastic. The issue is not the phone. It's our, our desire to consume. Right. I mean that, that goes into a lot
0: of things yeah. because I mean the, consumerist mindset leads to the capitalist mindset and the capitalist argument is, is, you know, leads into, in a lot of ways, you know, it gets into the systemic racism and, and the things that are going on now. And it's, I, it is not something that is going to just turn off with the light switch is, and it, you know, it's, I am in full support of the protesters and everything that's going on right now. So I want to, I'm not trying to, you know, have my words manipulated, but it's like no, no. unlearning all of these things. What, well, you know, we didn't get to, to where we are right now overnight. We got no, to, f- you know, 500 from 500 years. Exactly. So it's like, how do we slowly do this? But the, you know, the anger and the, the, it, it, when it should just happen overnight, it should just stop. And then, you know, it should be like, It should be like a computer where you just reset it and you just move on. And it's just going to be something that's going to be so slow to slowly dismantle. Even when people were like, just as an aside, like when someone's like defund the police, there's just going to be no police and it's going to be chaos. And it's like, well, no, people are trying to say to reallocate some of the money into other resources that have, but it's like, that's what it is. And it's not (laughs) going to happen overnight. It's going to, you know, budgets and so. And so it's so tough to do. And I am totally with you in terms of the, the, the process of, of, you know, how we got to where we're at and, like, what problems are we trying to fix? Because you're right. I mean, I didn't even think of that, you know, not even just from wasting ideas, but just trying to humanize uh, all the materials and the values, including the uh, non-tangible ones. I mean, it's... Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, when we think about the environment, we don't include the materials in as well. Materials are part of the environment. Yeah. It's not just like the marine life or plant life, like the materials that we use to that we extract are part of the environment. We also remove ourselves from the ecological landscape and we are also part of the environment. We we and I think this is one of the issues we have with um all of the economic platforms that um we we all like try to root for, whether it's communism, whether it's capitalism, um none of them work for us anymore. I think they are so outdated. Um, and that's mm. because we've kind of moved past them. And the reason why I say they're outdated is because if you look at all of them from their roots, all they are about is about humans' interest, right? Capitalism is a privatization of human interest. Right. Communism, socialism, it's about the community aspect of human interest, Okay. It is humans. At the end of the day, it does not it, usually they don't include other aspects. It doesn't really include the ecological aspect. It doesn't really include the planet, right? They're not usually planet centric, right? Right. Um, and when they do add planet centric things, it comes from a savior complex. Yeah. Of us trying to save the planet, right? When in reality, if global warming were to happen, we will die, and planet Earth will be fine. It will just perform into something else. Right? Um, that's a hard truth. And yes, you're right. So I, I think when we start seeing ourselves as part of this ecosystem, it will be much easier for us to start reconfiguring how we deal with these things. Not to say we don't extract things, but we start thinking about how we extract things, right? Um, and be mindful of, of, I mean, animals extract things from nature, but they know that they are giving back. We extract and we never put back, never. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Um. So it, it's because we don't see ourselves as part of that, right? And even if we do see ourselves as some god or like in, from the Lovecraftian aspect, right? Um. As a god, shouldn't you take care of your domain? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just thinking, like, right? Um. Yeah. But we don't. We I, yeah. So we we look at we don't look at ourselves as like gods from like the traditional like the new gods who have like you know subjects that they kind of take care of. We look at ourselves as like Lovecraftian gods, like Chutuls who just come and take things. We don't even notice any of the things that are worshiping us. We just take it and we just go away, right? Um,
0: yeah, and that and that's also unfortunately. This is kind of what ties us back all the way to the very beginning but it's it's also how we were raised yeah. you know and, and so that's the that's the tough part is cuz i think to to reconcile what you know basically to be told you're wrong when you didn't know you were wrong and you thought you're doing the right thing. Like, no, this is just what I was supposed to do. I was told that I should consume as much as I can and get as much wealth as I can. Cause I'm going to take care of, you know, my family, just these, these three people back here, these two people, you know, whatever. And everyone else is kind of evil and they want to take whatever's from me. And this is all mine and I'm going to work to earn more. Yeah. And you know, but that's like, that's what I was, you know, and it's, to to jump back again it's like that's the stuff i wrestle with too in terms of my concepts and understanding with religion in and and the the life that i you know w- that was instilled upon me from my from my parents because to me they also represented this religion and so as i've mm-hmm. tried to like dig deep down in just the absolute tragic wild times of the covid era and 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 everything with the, with the death of george floyd is like how do i Turn to something that I'm unfortunately using someone else to identify in.
1: You yeah, know? like for sure. No, it's it's a <laughs> lot of heavy stuff. I mean, uh, I mean, especially with 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 uh, everything that's happening right now in terms of like people waking up to like systematic racism. One of the things that. I'm just trying to be cautious about because right now I'm just being still and I'm moving. And I know I I can afford to be that because I know as as a black man in America, I've already experienced this thing. So it doesn't necessarily, seeing all the platitudes and the, you know, everyone trying to explain themselves, it's not Mm -hmm. necessarily moving me because I know that my reality, right? And so I'm just trying to figure out what is going to work. And I'm seeing so many people saying these are the solutions and blah, blah, blah. And a lot of those things we've put already in front and they didn't work. And you know mm. the reason why? is because we were trying to end something that's abstract. Racism is abstract. Poverty is abstract. You can't end those things. Mm. You don't end, right? And when you're coming with this mindset of ending things, it's hard for you to adjust, to something, yeah. right? Yeah. It's like there's a round hole, right? And your solution is a square peg. <laughs> and
0: okay.
1: you're like, I'm going to put this in there. You you bash it in, it goes in. You forced <laughs> it in, it's gone in, right? But then there's damage around the square, uh, the, the round hole. And people yeah. are trying to, like, hey, dude, like, this is not working. And you're like, dude, what do you mean? I put it in. You implemented your plan, <laughs> right? It You implemented it, but it didn't work. Yeah. It didn't, and it didn't it didn't solve the if i were to put water in there now water is still going to go through the the creeks and yeah. the damages that you've made right it didn't solve anything right yeah. um so for me the way i look at it now is trying to offer alternative futures and possible timelines of like resolutions are not solutions mm. because resolutions feel um, solutions feel very definitive but if we come with with something with that has more resolutions, are much more fluid. So we have an idea, we implement it. If it doesn't work, we can shift into something else.
0: Yeah. So right? and it's
1: just possible things, like right? just moving, right?
0: So yeah, I, and I want to make sure that I'm understanding it correctly. So it's not about like the answer, air quote. It's yeah. about the plan.
1: Yes. Yeah. Right. The, the, there's no answer to racism. You how you can't explain why racism exists. It's a stupid concept. Why am I trying to figure out why it exists and trying to figure out an answer to stop it? Because it doesn't make sense in the first place.
0: Yeah.
1: Right? Um, so for me, it's not about, in my opinion, it's not about trying to create a new... Like trying to like ten steps to to end racism, <laughs> and that's another thing. Um, I you know funny thing? Have you watched this um documentary, hypernormalization?
0: Uh, hypernormalization. I yes, no, no. Uh, idea. it's a
1: it's um. Oh, I forget the the person who made it. Hold on.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say I'm, I'll I'll write it down. Um.
1: Yeah, it's it's um, actually, a actually no, film I'll... slash documentary from th- his name Adam Curtis. Oh, okay yeah Adam Curtis guess, yeah. Adam Curtis yeah um yeah so I, I guess i'm I'm thinking this way because I, I was just listening to I was just watching it yesterday it was kind of depressing, but <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> it's really depressing um, I think we don't realize how complex this world is, and we try one of the issues with modernism uh. I've been bashing modernism too much. I'm going to have to give reasons why I love modernism, but let me just say one of the issues with modernism sure. is that it tries to flatten complexity, right? And it tries to make things too binary to com- issues that are very, very complex. Mm-hmm. You can't 10 step your way out of these issues.
0: Yeah. So It doesn't work. Yeah. It's, you're right? not going to find the answer in an Instagram post.
1: No, no, no. It's not It's not going to work that way, right? And it's not even about finding an outside. It's like, how do you just create another like, alternative that kind of... If racism is going to exist in this system, how can we kind of like move into another place that... If it doesn't want to shift, that's fine. We just move somewhere else, right? Mm-hmm. You create a new um, ecosystem, right? And if they keep trying to break that idea that you have, you keep shifting. You keep shifting. I'm okay with people battling that. Um, if they want to stay in that timeline and battle that system, that's fine too. That's why I'm all for possible futures, different kinds of futures happening at the same time. Right. Right. So all these things existing at one time instead of us thinking that like we can get end racism by corporations standing for us. Right. Corporations at the end of the day, to be honest, only care about... Yeah, bottom line.
0: That's yeah, it. shareholders and the, the shared interest it. of the shareholders. <laughs> that is it.
1: That is it. Um, so how about we start trying to figure out ways to kind of decolonize um, our thoughts, um, trying to not use some of the tools that we've learned within decolonization of the world and just look for other ways to address these issues. And that's, that's where I'm at right now because, I, you know, I've seen so many people going off and, like, bashing corporations and bashing this person and bashing that person. And I don't knock them because that anger is validated, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote about, like, this cosmic anger that's been festering, and that's how I feel. Like, I feel like there's a cosmic anger. That's why I don't focus on the rioters and, you know, the people who are rioting, I, I you know, people say protest, there's protest, but there's also rioting. I'm just going to be real, but I, I, I feel like they're validated. That anger is not just, it's, it, it's something that is, it almost feels like God-like, right? Like mm-hmm. that anger has, it's been there, it's calmed down and it's, it, it's been festering. We've been mm-hmm. feeding it and it's come down to kind of like take some, some kind of sacrifice, right? Mm-hmm. That's what it feels like. It feels like a, like a Lovecraftian being. Right. So, like, I recognize that anger. And, you know, sometimes you have to embrace anger. Suppressing it doesn't just festers. You have to allow it to just go through your body. Mm-hmm. And then once that happens, it's like, okay, it's gone. How do we do? What do we do with, um, after? And I'm okay with that. Right. So, they are very, I don't, you know, people say, oh, I don't agree with destruction of property. To be honest, at this point, I'm not thinking about property. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm not. Yeah. Uh, people have asked me, like, oh Nee, so what if you had a store? I'm like, a man died for no reason. I mean, maybe multiple at the, uh, people. Yeah, multiple, yeah, yeah multiple yeah. people have died for no reason. I mean, uh, maybe at that moment I might be concerned that like how am I going to feed my family? But then I think I could quickly adjust and say like, does this really this is a first world issue right now that I'm complaining about, right? Where mm-hmm. there's proper oppression happening. So um I I think you know for me, we just have to start decolonizing Ourselves when I say decolonizing, I, I I don't mean it in the typical like way of colonization, but I also think about it in the way that like um, things like your how we perceive time, mm-hmm. um, what we define as a success, um, the capitalistic ways of acquiring things, um, thinking that we can use violence to you know force ourselves into like victory what does victory mean mm. uh, i mean even things like you know the end result like i was telling you about my kids i think that's a way of me decolonizing them and like don't think about that eh? don't think about that result don't think about getting first like how think about how many times we've taught people to think that like if you're not first you're nothing yeah right? yeah it has to be another timeline. It has to be another future that we can create. They have to. I've been thinking about what does the black future. One of my friends asked me, like, what does the black future look like? And I'm like, no, actually, we should be asking, what does black futures look like? What are the different futures that we can create for black people in uh-huh. America, around the world? The different futures that we can all live different types of timelines.
0: Yeah, not I, a I, singular. Not a single answer. thing.
1: It's not like you know. This these are the things that you know. Like if we vote this person and I vote that person out. I, I'm all for people exercising their right to vote. But let's be clear. People have been voting for how many years? And these things are still an issue.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's it's not...
1: Uh, it's the yeah, system. It's,
0: yeah. It's not exclusive to one president or one administration. No,
1: no. Um, I mean, like I, people are saying like... That I, I'm hearing people talking about like they are so... Upset about the militarization of police in these riots and like how this will only happened under President Trump. I'm like Ferguson happened under Obama, and I remember they used military police were militarized and they were like gassing people and they were they were hitting people, right? Yeah. Um, and I, that's another thing I want to talk about in terms of um one of the 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 challenges I'm having with engaging about race on social media is the defication of black people um um people of color in the sense that we you know i i love the, the the hashtags of like black girl magic and black boy joy they are cool right but one thing it does in my opinion is it strips the humanity from us and there's this level of expectation that we have to always do great things right
0: yeah, I think that's people call it black uh, elitism or black
1: exceptionalism. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. we always have to do great things, right? Where like, um, Obama was expecting to end all of the world's problems, America's problems, and in the end of the at the end of the day, Obama is a politician that is held to the lobbies that put him in office, and he's going to answer to them.
0: Yeah, right. People do that, I think, to Virgil uh, Abloh yeah. quite a bit.
1: Yeah, um, Virgil's a human. He's he's going to fuck up. Right? Yeah. And it's okay, like black people can fuck up too, right? Yeah. Um and I I want us to also remember that like black people are humans as well. We're not just like these gods. Like we have um there are so many of us that work twice as hard to just get the, the things that most normal white people do. And that's yes, that's true. But at the same time, we can get tired, we can get frustrated, we can do the wrong thing we can fuck up and mm-hmm. that's okay. I want us to normalize that as well, that black people can make like mistakes because when we get in these these um in these positions, there are two things that happen. White people are looking for us to fuck up and you say, yep, we're not going to hire another black person. We just give them the opportunity and that one black person, you know, his mistake is caring for the whole race. And then black people on the other hand are like, dude, you are only hope. You have to do this. You have to do that. You can't let us down. Right. Yeah. And it's like that's unfair to place that on one person. Yeah. Right? Um, and I'm all for you know black people and autonomy and agency and, and trying to experience life to the fullest, like everybody else. Right? Um, I see a lot of people talking about how you know black people should like all these corporations, they're saying black lives matter, but like are they looking at their voting board, their CEOs. Who are the people yeah. i'm like those people are great but what about the black working class right can we champion them can we champion um black people who can't necessarily get those positions um it's okay they're okay as well right let's not make them feel some kind of way because they can't get in those positions right mm. um, and let's let's let them know that they are as badass as the black ceo or the these um High-end roles that we, are, we we want for black people, right? And then also, I I personally just I'm over wanting the white equi- like a black equivalent of a white structure. Personally, just don't want that anymore, right? Mm. So I don't care to have a black billionaire. Like I don't celebrate those. I don't care to have like a black corporation that is like big. Like those things to me don't necessarily change the exploitation that happens within those structures, you're still going to explain... Like uh, the oh, capitalist structure?
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: It's just not changing anything. Right? And even if it was like, not just capitalism, because I just told you all the economic systems don't work. If you have like a, 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 a socialist utopia and the black person is authoritarian and he's killing black people, like, for me, it's like, right. And this is not an equivalent to black on black crime. I, I don't think that, ex- like, that is not, let's throw that away. For me, what I'm just saying is that, um, if we think moving a cisgendered white man and replacing them with some minority will fix the issue when the standard of the system still is there, the foundation, nothing really will change. Mm. I mean, let's think about how many things are really like changed, like for like had an impact in terms of like black people, emancipation proclamation, civil rights act. We've been here for how many years? All the other things that you know, um, my cousin was trying to, you know, level with me and saying, like, well, look at like, you know, um, the redlining laws that they've put in and all those things. I'm like, all those things have loopholes. Affirmative action has loopholes. The biggest benef- benefactors for affirmative action is not black people; it's white women. Mm. You know, um, we we talk about the um, gentrification and redlining loop um, laws in place, but. They always get around those all the time. They've not, they've all backfired on black people. So right. those things, they're not addressing the real issues. They're not addressing the the, the the, things that are paramount in in our systems. And we need to start looking at those things because all oh, we're just doing is slapping band-aids on broken bones. That's not going to kill the band. We're not even putting POP on the bones. We're just slapping band-aids. Right? And then when someone says, dude, his bone is broken. It's like, yo, like, what else do you want me to do? I give him a band-aid. Like, I mean, pat me on the back, right? Um, and that's one of, I think that is one of the issues I'm having with people, like with the, with the upcoming election, how people are kind of like saying like, well, Biden is not Trump, you know, like, well, this is not Trump. Like that, we need to have more than just, that, that cannot be the standard. <laughs> it has to be more than that
0: yeah right? uh, I agree with you I, and I definitely... if,
1: if a black person is asking you know like why should I vote for you like people shouldn't like look at them as they are like try, they are for Trump they're saying like I don't like Trump but Biden you wrote the crime bill <laughs> tell me why I should vote for you yeah right. I think it's a it's a reasonable question to ask, and um, like I personally have kind of unplugged myself out of the um, Democrat versus Republican um, dick swinging because at the end of the day, all of the most of them have the same policies that they implement, most of them do. Mm. Uh, at the end of the day, they they approve defense budgets that are ten times bigger than anything. Uh, yeah. We spend money, so much money on the military. I think that the next 13 countries. It's, it's
0: up there. I don't, I don't know the statistic, but it's, it's something it's gargantle. And these right are first world that.
1: countries. First yeah. world countries. Right. Yeah. That includes China and Russia. And yeah. we, we spend, we, and then we, there's this sense that we feel that we are not spending enough. We don't, our, our military, like our military equipment is not um, up to par. It's like, Someone who has a McLaren, right? Everyone has 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 a a Camry, or no, okay. no, a Camry, a Civic, and he's complaining his car is not fast enough. Right, right, right. But it's not just Republicans that that um, approve those bills. Democrats approve those bills too, as well. Yeah,
0: right? there. It's tough. I think everyone wants. Uh, um, a a savior right now. Yeah. That, and I, you know, and, and obviously I don't, I don't have the answers. I've been trying to just read and, and educate myself and be an empathetic, loving listener in a weird way. This is also why I have turned to religion, but also been very angry by it because I want, to do something and fix it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I want a 10 step solution. I want the answer and I want to say, oh, you know what? I had to read. I had to become a Muslim or I had to um, really read my Bible. I had to memorize scripture. I had to have quiet times. I had to do those things and then everything's fixed.
1: Did it. Okay. But, <laughs> but, but religion was never built for that. Religion wasn't built to solve things, right? It, oh, you're exactly it, right. Yeah, It wasn't. It, it was to help you stay in the trouble. Right. Right. Yeah. Jesus didn't say that, like, you, you, if you give your life to me, that everything will be okay and you'll be, you know, like, that's what they teach us, but that's not the case. No, you're exactly right. He didn't say that you're not going to have trouble. Like I actually, um, like I've always been like big on my faith and I'm a Christian. Like I've always been big on that. And, you know, every day I wake up and I, I do my devotional and I journal and I talk to God. Um, but I've learned how to talk to him in a way that, like, it feels very conversational, like I'm having, like, it's almost like a therapy session, like talking to him, um, like a dad, right? Um, but in traditional, not Christian, modern Christianity, we've weaponized, we 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 summon God like a Pokemon. It's like, hey, God. Sorry. <laughs> my enemy right there, do that. Um, I need a million dollars, do that. Um, you see those um, Muslims over there, do that. Like, we summon him like, like sure. that. Right? Like he's a giant robot that just coming, they just come and like clear all our, our problems away. But that's not yeah. what the case is. That's not what it is. You know, religion is about and not this is not just about um Christianity. Religion has a lot of problems, mm-hmm. but there is something very radical it teaches teaches us about about staying in the trouble, right? About being resilient, right? And just you know. Yeah. Just being resilient and not, not being able to stand when, when things are going crazy. Right. And yeah, this-
0: I, yeah. I think the hardest thing though, for me, <laughs> it's just stupid. I'm crying. Um, is that so many people who told me about that faith and about that religion, I, I associate them with it, but of those, course. those people, those people really let me down. And, and it's, it's, it's been a very difficult thing to divorce internally in my mind of who these people were and what they represent. And then also trying to find out what is, can I even have my own relationship? Uh, and I'm, and I'm not even trying to get like spiritual and religion, but like it's, no, no.
1: I, I love getting spiritual and religious. I, so keep, go ahead.
0: I keep turning to it cause I'm, I don't know what else to do. And I want an answer, but it's so hard for me because you know, e- look, as an aside, my dad was a pastor at this church and he's had Parkinson's for a really long time. And he, they kind of, he like founded this church. It's like a super church now, you know? And, Mm. um, I, I've had to try to separate how I thought the church, the capital C church handled my dad, Mm. you know? And, And, and that unfortunately has been my direct understanding of religion. It's always been through them. And so I've, I keep trying to kind of separate and push away that church experience because I, I as we all know I mean look at look at you know the evangelical voters of Trump who thinks that like it was divine intervention that he was elected mm-hmm. and stuff and mm-hmm. it's like that's not the Jesus that that my parents told me about or, yeah, or sure. like th- this is a direct conflict and, and I I am torn up inside trying to understand this because i just yeah i mean i'll just keep talking to him blue in the face but i mean it's just that has been one of the hardest things is trying to is 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 trying to separate the the human understanding of christian and then or or of god whatever it is who you know they are to something that fits in my mind
1: no i i I Totally empathize with you. I get where you're coming from. I think a lot of people who, uh, from my experience, a lot of people who do have problems with religions, it's usually internalized from like their past, yeah, uh, like how they engage with it. So, like, I totally get. Like, I, like I said, I understand the the way that particularly Christianity has been used to oppress, especially people of color. Like, I totally get that. Yeah. Um, and I understand the, um. The issues that a lot of, like a lot of the people that have these issues, they are validated. Like there's no, there's no, like around it. You are validated with the way that you feel about how the capital C church handled your dad's um, sickness. Um, Now, the thing I'm trying to learn, and this is why I say it's radical. And I think all the religions teach this, is agape love. And... Agape love for all of us is one of the dumbest things you can do. (laughs) And the reason why is because us as humans right now, today we've been conditioned to get something for any action that we do. There has to be some sort of exchange. and you just doing something for not expecting anything back is the dumbest thing that you can do. Mm. Like, yeah, it's very stupid thing to do because for you to just say like, I'm just going to do this out of goodness of my heart. I'm not expecting anything back. I'm not I'm, I'm. not even expecting. And when I say anything back, I'm just just, not just talking about material things. Remember I told you that I have codependency issues. So <laughs> I would do things to get some kind of affirmation. Sure, yeah. Right? And That's if I didn't same. get that, i get upset. Mm-hmm. Right? But if I just did it, and before I used to think, I, I practiced agape love. And then one of my friends broke it down to me in that way. And I was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm not, <laughs> I don't have a capital of in any way, shape or form. Like, um, and I had to, like, it really had to, like, I really had to sit down and say like, okay, I, I said, I'm going to practice and it's still a work in progress for me. I'm going to have to practice this thing. And if I practice it, I have to be really intentional of like, okay, I'm going to do this. And I don't care how people think of me regardless. Um, not I don't care, but it, it doesn't matter what people think, I'm still going to do it. I might care, it might hurt me, mm. but it's like I'm doing it because out of the love that Jesus Christ has taught that I, I continue to do, right? Mm. Um, so for me, it's it's an important thing. It's not, none of us practice agape love, none of us. Yeah. Um, And even the us that we are trying to practice it we fail. It's not. It's not something that you can just do. Like especially now, we we are all ingrained. I mean, there are so many things that I like till today. Like I I do, and I'm like, yeah, I did that out of the goodness of my heart. And then crickets. I hear no <laughs> responses. I'm just like, damn, I did all that. I no one responded. <laughs> like are you serious like th- those are things that like still happens but what I try to do is that like I now talk to myself and I talk myself out of like okay so what were you expecting why are you upset like did you not say that you're trying to practice agape love is this agape love that you're practicing right now um, mm-hmm. so it's it's something that it's so radical right um, and trying to express it in a world where everyone is trying to get theirs Right, when they are on a race for you know to to get things or reach get to the bag or get to this, it's you 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 feel stupid. Like I don't like to. You, I felt very stupid many times when I feel like I'm practicing agape love, and yeah. you know, and even when I I do feel like I don't. I'm not expecting anything back. Just the reactions of like, dude, you just let that happen. I'm like, well, you know, like agape love, and you're like, man, that was dumb. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, oh god, you know. So it's. It's a hard thing to do, you know. Um, it is something that I feel like, for me, personally, it's something that I'm trying to employ in my life. And I, I'm i trying as much as possible to use that as a template, uh, to get, as a guiding principle in everything that I do, including in post too, as well. Um, that agape love thing, I'm just doing things and not trying to make it some sort of performative thing. Um, yeah. And w- w- that's one of the the things that I'm... I know everyone is trying to navigate everything right now. It's all messy. And that's good. That's great. Like, humans are messy, right? Nothing is... Like, we need to stop trying to make things very binary. And it's this or that. It's not. It's It's all very just hazy. You know, uh, the human experience is a hazy one. It's not an absolute one. There's nothing absolute about us, right? Um, and we're all hypocritical. We're all, you know, we, we think one thing one one day. The next day, we're thinking something else, right? Um, and it's that sense of grace that we just need to be walking. Because if I can say that, like, you know, Jesus gave, like, his life, and he can forgive me for all the atrocious things that I, I do in my life, I should be able to kind of afford that to everyone else, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just how I'm, I'm trying to walk in my life right now. But with, in terms of everything else that's happening, um, for me, I still don't know how I want to engage about race with people now just because I, I don't care to... I'll be honest with you. I don't care to hear what white people have to say about, <laughs> about race right now. Um, and I don't care what actions they are doing. If if it's genuine, great. If it's not, that's great as well. At the end of the day, it doesn't change um, the fact that, you know, at the moment right now, if my boys were 12 or 14 and they were walking around, they could get stopped by cops. That's not going to change that. So it's not, it, it doesn't end. It doesn't give me any sense of safety. And I've, I know every black person at some point has went has gone to the point of seeking white validation. I don't care to seek it anymore, right? Um, so I don't care. Um, but in terms of trying to hold people accountable and, you know, trying to offer steps to be anti-racist, I don't care to do that either, personally. Well, I don't think it's...
0: the The problem, at least, that I've seen is that people are trying to ask... African Americans, Africans, people of color, blacks, mm-hmm. what to do. And they're like, oh, yeah. just tell us what to do. And I, I mean, I'm even guilty of that. And where I'm like, oh, you know what? No, I've educated myself through so many other things. I can also educate myself through this. And I'm yeah. not going to be able to fix it. I'm not going to be able to do it, but I can, I can find a way to equip myself. Mm-hmm. and not so I can sleep better at night. Not yeah,
1: it's so a fix fixer mentality. It's like, that. don't fix that That kind of thing. But yeah. even with that too as well, like for me, I don't mind a white person asking me what's it like. I could tell them like, what the first thing I'll tell them is that like, no matter what you do, you're not going to fix this stuff. Mm. Throw away that fix-up mentality. What you can do is, you know, and I'll just tell them like, what I think will happen, like you, you should try to do is this, this, this. Um I personally don't like or I I say personally um telling a white person like Google is your friend. You can Google. I think that's
0: dangerous.
1: (laughs) There's a lot of stuff on the internet. Exactly. I think it's a dangerous thing to to tell white people say go educate yourself. Like it's like asking like it's a very little first of all a lot of white people do not understand the concept of race. Like, it's not something they've had to think about. Like, I saw a video of some white people denouncing their white privilege, and I'm like, that mm. is not changing anything. Yeah. But that just shows you they don't... We, like, for white people, it's a concept they still don't get and they don't understand. And for me to expect some kind of profound reaction or statement from people who don't understand the concept of race I think I'm doing myself a disservice and I'm setting myself up for disappointment. Hmm. So that's why I don't expect, it's just like, man, if you want to educate yourself, great. If you don't want to, that's great as well. My, my, I'm going to detach my, what I'm trying to work on is the, I'm, I'm trying to work on the, on a future that does not depend on the actions of white people to make sure that my sons are not targets of police brutality, that I am not dependent on any white publication supporting me and making sure that like there's full autonomy and agency within me as a black person. That's the future that I'm trying to, to carve out right now. Mm. So, and it sounds abstract, Right? It's like, and I don't have the answers right now. I don't, I don't, I do, I'm not looking for answers. I'm just still trying to fill through all these things. But we live in an abstract world. Yeah. This pr- present is very abstract. So I think it only makes sense to, to, you know, um, meet it with much more abstract um, questions and, and uh, abstract things. And one of the issues we've had is trying to simplify and flatten. Binary things. See, I keep talking to, Okay, so, yeah. So, flattening... Which modernism does? Well, modernism does some awesome all, some awesome things like it has democratized design, it's democratized mm-hmm. expression. I love the idea of... Um, expanding the idea of what beauty is because before that, beauty was only seen from a very Eurocentric standpoint of view. So, yeah. I love... The, the fact that modernism and postmodernism have been able to do that, so that that was my um my um quip on why modernism has the pros of 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 modernism and postmodernism.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, to jump back to what you were saying, you know, someone's you saw a a uh, Saint saw photo and that like put you on your journey with fashion. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, do you ever think that there are now people looking at? what you're doing with post-imperial and then getting turned on to fashion. I mean, that's, that's a big deal.
1: I hope so. I hope so. I hope that's what it is. And they're not just looking at just necessarily clothes. It's just looking at like different processes. Like we are trying to work with, um, how I, I'm trying to make sure that like, you know, the black experience that I'm talking about also matches the idea of like respecting the planet and the ecological standpoint of that too as well. Um, the human value, and not just looking at human capital. It's like really, really respecting humans, and then trying to reconfigure what success looks like, right? Mm. Um, and we didn't. We get to this point, the success part. Um, there's this one podcast that I listen to. I listen to a lot of podcasts. But, yeah, as I was um, say, it sounds like it. this is yeah, great. I do. <laughs> you have You have to give me your your yeah yeah
0: after
1: this. It, it, it was a podcast from a lecture from the Schumacher institute. Are you familiar with the Schumacher institute uh, no i'm sorry I'm um it's a, it's, a, no, it's 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 an awesome I'll send you some links It's okay. an awesome um institute that talks about um they they have different guiding principles uh on economics that focus on human value and there was mm. a lecture called Cold Evil and it talks about how we we are over efficient for no reason, right? We 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 the sense of the things that we consider innovation—they don't really affect our lives. Mm. All they just do is make us consumers, right? Like Amazon Prime, one-day delivery. How has that affected our lives? Unless uh, the only thing it's done is really make us impatient uh, consumers. And yeah. impatient. thats yes. it, right? Before yeah. we knew about one day delivery, three day delivery was okay. That was fine. We were okay with that. No one was complaining
0: it's about true. that. It's, it's put a lot of strain on smaller businesses too, that yeah. feel that they have to offer exactly. you know, two day delivery because unfortunately the majority of the other stuff that consumers are purchasing is, are getting that too.
1: Delivery exactly I, a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, it, this sense of like wanting things faster, quicker, like, think something is going to suffer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it it's either the product or the humans. And the product can't suffer because that's what it is. So the humans will suffer, yeah. right? So that's efficiency for efficiency's sake, right? Um, and when people, you know, you hear people saying capitalism, like, busy innovation, and it's like, mm, no. <laughs> it doesn't yeah there's it a just lot of copycats yeah there's just copycats of it the amazon is a great example it sees what you do you do it either buys you out or it copies you and if you want to sue them that's fine they've implemented your idea they'll just drag it out in court they have yeah. more money and they'll implement your idea to the fullest by the time you get a payout and the payout that you get is peanuts compared to what they've already made that's and nothing
0: yeah, and what, what you have to pay in legal fees and and fighting exactly. a system that's yeah, jeez, uh, yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. Don't even get me started with with Amazon stuff. And it's funny because <laughs> oh, as aside, I, I I occasionally get emails. There are a handful of uh, people who work at Amazon Fashion uh, that listen to the show um interesting so, yeah and so i always <laughs> encourage people to go off on amazon because i'll be honest they do they do listen i mean i've had some people message me and been like well the, you know that's interesting that you said that we are working to be more sustainable than that i'm like okay
1: exactly it's everyone is trying to have that cake at it too <laughs> yeah, like, trying to be sustainable true. but then y'all like crushing all these things and you're like like it's i was listening to you know sebastian from um the brand Vision. Mm-hmm. I love that brand. Like I'm a stan. Like I'm, I love that brand. But he said something profound. He was like, he when he started Vision, he didn't want to have a company where he's destroyed and left a amount a, a of destruction for like ten years, and then on the tenth year, he will now make a um, foundation to clean everything up. Hmm. Okay. What's the point? What, yeah. what's the point? You know, um like it doesn't what's what's what what you, you didn't need that foundation in the first place if you are going to destroy everything, right? Um yeah. if you are not going to destroy everything. So it's it's about just being mindful, I think, about the actions that you're taking and that's what we're trying to do at post imperial is just be very mindful with the way that we're doing our process. Not to say that we're doing everything right, but it's like, okay, this is what we're doing, this is how it's going to affect how do we work on not affecting this? How can we erase the the effect that we're having? Um, and also, what are the alternatives that we can do to make sure that we don't um, end up in this same loop that everybody is in? So,
0: yeah. Nia, excuse me. I cannot thank you enough for your time your your overwhelming generous candor I I I really can't thank you enough for this
1: um oh, thanks man thanks I, I I you know I like like I said I don't have that many friends in the industry like I have acquaintances but not that many friends I'll, I'll shout out to my friends Abasi Rosborough Isaac Larose uh the harvest crew, those are those are the people that I really like, you know, talk to. Everyone else I'd say like their acquaintances. Um uh but I I, I still like, you know, I'm a social person, so I, I I like talking to people under certain circumstances. Like this is one of them, like <laughs> talking about these types of things. Um so yeah, I'm glad I I, I got the opportunity to talk um, a little bit as well. Oh, any more than a little a, bit.
0: No, any anytime you want. I mean to be honest, everything you've said has been very uh very challenging and 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 encouraging at the same time
1: that's that's good to hear that thank you thank you for again thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk to it was great all right right, we'll see you bye
0: you've been listening to blammo our theme music is by breakmaster cylinder edited by brendan finn and we're produced by blammo media follow along with us on instagram at blammo podcast and leave a review for us on your favorite podcast app Want even more Blammo? Head over to patreon.com forward slash Blammo to join the Blam fam and get access to additional interviews, a community slack, special events, and more. And best of all, you're supporting the show. Try it. It feels good. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you soon.